copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And as you do that, we want to dismiss our children for the time of children's worship. Follow Jennifer there with a sign today. Grace Kids. If you can't read, follow the lady in the blue shirt. How's that? All right, well hopefully you're in Philippians 4 in some copy of God's Word, whether it be electronic or paper, Um, or if you have the book of Philippians memorized, just turn it in your head, you might be surprised. Uh, To Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we'll be, Lord willing, covering verses 14 through 23 this morning. If you look at that, look look at that, chapter 4, verses 14 through 23, what's that look like to you? That's it! Huh? That's it. We're just going to quit meeting then, right? If Philippians is over. We're done. Now we're going to finish by God's grace the book of Philippians this morning. And for some of you, it'll be an exciting time. Others may mourn. Uh, it's been a great time for me personally, and this wonderful letter to the church of uh, Philippi. And my prayer is that it has been for you as well, and you've grown in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we've studied this great book together. And um, but uh, the title of the message in these ending verses this morning is spiritual investing spiritual investing so let's i'm going to read these uh, verses for us and then we're going to pray together look there at verse 14 with me nevertheless you have done well to share with me in my affliction you yourselves also know philippians that the first preaching the gospel after i left macedonia no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone for even at thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your grace would be with us today, would be with our spirit. And as we approach these final verses here in this letter that you um, inspired Paul uh, to write to the church of Philippi, that would not only be a blessing to that church and churches of that day, but to our church this morning. Lord, I pray our ears would be uh, attentive, our hearts would be humble before your word. Lord, we would uh, expect you to do something great in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would say that most of the adults in this room have some kind of IRA, individual retirement account. Most people in here that are adults probably have something like an individual retirement account. This is it's a wise thing to have, an IRA or something like that, or a Roth IRA, or something else like that. You're investing in the future, right? What's going to happen when you retire? Now, I'm just going to throw this out here. This may be another sermon for another day. This will be the sermon before the sermon, and I'll give you a sermon after the sermon, too. Here's a sermon before the sermon. The sermon before the sermon is, is this, is that Western mindset of retirement is unbiblical. The Western mindset of, his, of retirement is you accumulate all that you possibly can and throw it out there so you can retire at 65 and sit around and play golf all the time and do nothing. Now, that's not biblical. Now, you may not continue to work in your same job, but the biblical account, we work the rest of, the day of, our, the rest of our lives. We're doing something productive for the glory of God. 
We were created that way. God created them in the garden before sin. Work came before sin, not after the fall. And people forget that. They were created to do things, to use our lives for eternal uh, benefits. So, um, so, again, there's nothing wrong with having some money set aside so you can continue to work for the glory of God, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but to have an a, a American mindset of to retirement is unbiblical. Uh, many people spend a lot of time thinking about their IRA. Uh, they diligently watch the stock market, wondering what it's going to do to their IRA. They read many articles about investing their money. Uh, they listen to radio shows that are uh, dedicated to helping people with investing. They watch TV shows that do the same. Uh, they go to seminars, and then they make adjustments to their investing strategy. Uh, how much? In what do I invest? Where do I invest it? And none of these things, please understand, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. It's not sin to do those things, but it could be if we spend too much time and all of a sudden that nest egg that we're laying out there becomes a God in and of itself. Then we've got to watch our hearts there. However, when we think about this, I would venture to say that most people do not spend as much, near as much time thinking about and acting, acting upon their SIA. What's an SIA? Their, in, their spiritual investment account. Not an IRA, but their SIA, spiritual investment account. The, the amount and the places they invest their funds and the things that advance the gospel. Think about that. How much time compared to time and, that we spend... Thinking about our IRA, do we spend thinking about and working toward our SIA? And the truth be known is professing Christians give way less to their SIA than they give their, to their IRA. It's statistics from any kind of source that Christians, those who profess to be Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, give way less to their SIA than they did to their IRA. And I would think we would all say there's a problem. There's a problem. Should that be the case for those who profess to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, God's word would say, no way. Our SIA should be where we invest way more than we invest in our IRA. And again, there's nothing wrong with having an IRA. But if the IRA is more important in time and investment than our SIA... We've got things mixed up. How about you? SIA? IRA? Where, where, do they, where do they line up for you? Where are they priority-wise? Where are they? Do you spend more time thinking about and more time acting on the IRA than your SIA? Well, Jesus made it clear that how we use our resources is a direct reflection of our hearts. When he said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of getting hot in here, isn't it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a matter of the heart. And our actions, the way that we invest our resources that God has given us, remember that, they're not our resources, ultimately they're his resources, right? And we're just stewards of those resources. How we use those says a lot about our hearts so here's a question where is your heart this morning in relation relation to your spiritual investing well this morning as we look at these last few verses here in philippians god through paul has a lot to say about spiritual investing 
And my prayer is that he would use his word to bring about change in all of our hearts and therefore our actions from our hearts based upon his word this morning. So as we study these verses here in the the final verses of Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be challenged by, get this, eight biblical principles. Not three, not four, eight biblical principles. And I could have probably stretched it to ten, but I'll give you a break, only eight. In, in, in preaching class and seminaries, they tell you never do something like eight or ten points. That's stupid. That's suicide. Well, I guess I'm suicide this morning, all right? Uh, but eight biblical principles concerning spiritual investment. And they say that because most churches couldn't handle eight, but we can, right? All right, here at Grace, we can handle eight biblical principles concerning spiritual investing so that, by God's grace, we would make our SIAs a priority in our life for his glory. So let's once again be reminded of where we are in the context, how we got to these last verses here in Philippians. I'm not going to review every sermon, but just remind us about the book of Philippians a little bit so we can see why Paul says what he does. It's so important for us to see the context so we understand what he's saying to the original recipients. The first task of any time we study the Word of God is to ask the question, what did the original author mean to the original recipients first? And if we don't get that right, we won't get anything right. Often, what's the application here? Well, if we don't understand what he's trying to say to the original recipients, then we'll never get that right. So we want to understand, why does he write what he writes? Who is he writing to? Well, remember, he's under house arrest in Rome. Um, When he writes this, he had planted this church back in Acts 16. We saw that, and I've reminded you all that throughout the series. Uh, He visited them two more times in Acts 19 and 20. Uh, So he, he has a great love for these people. And as you read through this letter, you see a great love and concern for these people. And he, and he wrote as if he knew them, because he did. He spent a lot of time with the people of the Church of Philippi. And so um, he's in prison. So these believers in Philippi, because of their great love for Paul and the gospel ministry, they send a guy named Epaphroditus, which is mentioned a couple times in the book. We've seen him before. We'll see him again this morning. Um, and they, they send Epaphroditus with a gift to Paul to help Paul while he's uh, in prison. And when he gets there, Epaphroditus and him must have spent some time together. Epaphroditus almost dies taking the gift. Paul holds him up as an example of someone who was selfless. We saw that in chapter 2. And he, but he gets there, and they must have exchanged some uh, pleasantries and talked a little bit. And then they got serious, and they started talking about the church of Philippi. And Epaphroditus was able to give him an update how things were going. There's some things that Paul was able to write and encourage them greatly in. Hey, you're doing a great job here, but there's some things that we need to talk about a little bit. Uh, that I mean, and give you some more instruction on, encourage you to do better in, and to, to make changes in for the glory of God. And so he does this, and, and, and he, he writes this letter to the church of Philippi, and he sends it back with Epaphroditus. So he brings this, what we have here before us, wasn't written in English, it was actually written uh, in, in Greek. So he takes this, and he, he, Epaphroditus, and he brings it back to the church, and they read it before the church, which was the practice. Um, and uh, so part of the last chapter of what he brings back here of, of, um, of, of chapter 4 here is a, it's a big thank you. And we saw that last week in verses 10 through 13, that he was beginning to thank them for what they had done in sending this gift. And we also uh, see Paul, one of these believers, to know that that God had taught him to be content. He taught him him the secret of being content in every circumstance. We looked at that as well. Uh, Paul was able to be satisfied with where God had him. How? By the power of Christ in him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or him who gives me strength. Many of us heard this verse. We talked about what it doesn't mean. Last week, we also talked about what it does mean. It doesn't mean God gives me the power to do, Christ gives me the power to do whatever I want. No, Christ gives me the power to be content 
in any situation I am. That's what it means. Completely. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give us power to do things. And in him we move and, ha- in him we move and live and have our being. That's true. But this particular is that he was able to, in any situation, where it had a lot or where it had little, by the power of Christ in him, be content, be satisfied with where God had him at the time. Um, so now look with me in verse 14. Let's pick back up with this thank you aspect of Paul's letter. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, Paul wants to make sure that they know that although he's learned to be content in any every circumstance, that he's still grateful for their gift. He, he's not trying to be crass that, I don't really need your gift. Why did you send it in the first place? I've learned to be content. I don't need anything. That's not what he's saying at all. He, and he's, making, he's just clarifying here. It, it, you've done well to share. He, he says that, that some translations say, it's a good thing that you've shared with me while I'm, I'm afflicted, he says. Or basically, he's talking about his imprisonment. Now, look with me the word share there. It, it means to participate in something with others, to become partners, to have a partnership with someone. There's a real commitment here to each other. It's not just a general sharing, but a real commitment. And, and he mentions this at the very beginning of his letter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. Look what he says here. He says, in view of your participation, comes from the same word, in the gospel from the first day until now. He's saying, I thank my God and my remembrance of you in view of, I'm thanking you because you participated, you committed with me to be about the ministry of the gospel. And here he's saying very much the same thing, that, that it's a good thing that you've shared your, your resources and invested in the advancement of the gospel by your giving to me. So he, he just clarifies quickly. It's not that I'm not thankful for your gift. I am thankful. Although I've learned to be content, you've done a good thing. What you've done in investing in the gospel. Now look with me here at verses 15 through 16. You yourselves also know Philippians the first preaching the gospel after I left Macedonia no church share with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone for even Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs so what is Paul referring to here what was he talking about this is what's so important to make sure we understand we read all these words Macedonia and Thessalonica and all that what's all that about it's important and I think you're going to see how important it is for us to understand what Paul is trying to say to the believers there and to us so he's saying that he heard, that after they heard the gospel, look here, he says, for the first preaching of the gospel, he's speaking about the preaching of the gospel there to the church of Philippi in Acts 16. After they heard it and they embraced the gospel there in Acts 16, he then left them. He says, after I left Macedonia, and Philippi is in Macedonia. In fact, it's a, it was a major city in Macedonia, and most of the time when Paul refers to the, the churches of Macedonia or Macedonia, he's speaking of his time in Philippi because he'd spent more time there than any other, other churches and had a stronger relationship. So often he's speaking specifically to Philippians, but for sure in general because they're in Macedonia. So after he left them, they were the only church, he says, that invested their resources in the ministry of the gospel by supporting him. That was the only church that did. And he, he then gives them an example in verse 16 by saying that they did this when he was when he was in Thessalonica. So here's the question. When was Paul, think about this, when was Paul in Thessalonica? Let me just ask you another question so you've all been listening for the last 19 messages, okay? Where in the book of Acts did Paul plant the church or take the gospel to Philippi? What chapter? Chapter 16. What chapter? Chapter 16. 16, I'll make sure you're listening. Chapter 16. Now look at the beginning of chapter 17 with me. 
Now when they had traveled through um, Amphilippos in Apollonia, they came to, what's it say? Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. They came to Thessalonica. Acts 16, he's where? Philippi. Acts 17, he comes to Thessalonica. So soon after, soon after he's in Philippi, he comes to Thessalonica. It's one of the very first places he goes. And here's where we find the first biblical principle concerning spiritual investing. Spiritual investing is for all Christians. Spiritual investing is for all Christians. The believers in Philippi had just recently become Christians themselves. When he writes it, when he goes to Thessalonica, and he, te- he says in, in, in Philippians that while I was in Thessalonica, you sent a gift. I mean, he had just left them. And they're already sending a gift to Paul. So what's that say? How, how long have they been walking with the Lord? 10, 20, 30 years? Had they memorized the whole Old Testament? No. They were babes in Christ. They were brand new believers, and they were already giving to the work of the ministry. It wasn't okay, you know, let's, let's take a few care of you a few things. Let's let you get a little more mature before you start giving to the things of the Lord. Not that at all. Their practice was, and what you see here by their actions, is that they immediately began investing into spiritual things. Immediately. After they came to the Lord. Often we, 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 we almost stunt the growth of new believers. We say, well, you know, don't worry about giving right now to the things of the Lord. You know, that's going to come later. Where does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere in the scripture. And, and, and the, the examples we have are exact opposite. They began to give. It was, a, it was an early thing, an early grace of a Christian to give. And we'll talk about why that is um, here a little bit later on. But it starts right after new birth. So if you're a new Christian here this morning, if you're a Christian at all, this should be true of you. You invest in spiritual things. Is it? Is that true of you? As a believer, as a follower of Christ, that you are investing in spiritual things, in your SIA. Well, look again at verse 16 there with me. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now, it seems this giving was not just a one-time thing, but became a pattern with the believers in Philippi. Uh, we, we know this to be true because when Paul went to Corinth, he was able to devote himself to the work of the ministry because of the Philippians' faithfulness to give to him. Now, where do I get that? Not just in Philippians. Now, he says he gave more than once when he was in Thessalonica. They didn't quit giving when he was in Thessalonica. They kept giving and giving and giving and giving. Well, look with me in Acts 18. 1, and in verse 5. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Then in verse 5, it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, where's Philippi? In Macedonia. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia... Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, why was he able to devote himself completely to the ministry of the word? And it says here, because Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Well, what difference would that make? That, that, that Silas and Timothy would come. Well, it makes a huge difference. Why did it free him up to minister? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians as he writes to the church in Corinth. Reminding of something in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 8 through 9. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. He's talking to the church of Corinth, who wasn't a very giving church at this moment. And when I, present, when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren from Macedonia, who would that be? 
Silas and Timothy. When they came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Who was supporting the ministry in Church of Corinth? The Church of Philippi was. They didn't just give to the church when he was at, give to Paul when he was in Thessalonica to help that church out. He, they also gave to Paul to help the church of Corinth. Think about this. This was a church that, that gave the new, their new believers and they're giving and they're giving. And in, this, we, in this, this, this verse, in verse 16 in Philippians 4 and then these other verses we point to, we see a second biblical principle concerning spiritual investing. Spiritual investing is ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a practice of a life of a Christian. It's a practice in the life of a Christian. They're ongoing. They keep giving. They don't just stop. They, with one, they just keep on giving to the work of the ministry. And in writing to the church of Corinth, again, Paul stresses this point. All right? It's ongoing. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no... No collections be made when I come. So Paul said, you, you're systematically set aside help um, money for the work of the ministry in other places. So when I come, then I can take and go be a blessing to another church. See what's happening? So this is the pattern in the New Testament. It's what I'm trying to show you here. It wasn't just the, even the church of Philippi. He was expecting the church at Corinth to do like the church of Philippi did. And we'll look at that here in a second. He actually uses the church of Philippi as an example of the church of Corinth. You're bad and they're good. No, I'm kidding. He could have said it like that because that's about it. what he says. It gets, it's even almost more flavorful even than that. Uh, but he does. This is, this is expected. It's, it, and here's a question for us this morning. Is spiritual investing an ongoing practice in our lives? Is this something that takes place on an ongoing thing in our lives? We're spiritually investing. We're giving our resources to the work of the ministry of the gospel. Now look with me in verse 17 here in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul clarifies again that he's not in this for the money. I mean, he, we just saw it when he said Church of Corinth. Before they, the gift came, he, he, was, he was a tent maker. I mean, he was working with his hands to supply his needs so he could minister the gospel. So it is never about the money, money for, for Paul. And he's just reminding him it's not about the gift itself. But he, Instead, he's excited about their, what, their, what their giving brings them. Uh, it's not about the gift to me, but I'm excited about what you're getting, what's happening in your life because of your giving. He's living out, although this Paul is living out this principle in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, isn't he? Paul wasn't in it for the money. He was in it for them. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With your familiar mind, regard one another as more important yourself. Not only you're looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Paul just lives this out throughout. What he, he instructs them to do, he lives it out. He's concerned for them. Now look at the last part of verse 17. I seek for the profit which increases to your account. The picture is of compound interest that's accumulating all the time. See, the, it increases to your account. You've invested and there's an increase happening because of your investment. The eighth wonder of the world, right, is compound interest. Just make sure you're on the right side of it, right? But he's saying this is, this is, this, it's compounding in your account, in a sense. And Jesus speaks of this when he also says this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six nineteen through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
And what they were doing by investing in the gospel ministry, they were investing in treasures in heaven. Not treasures here on earth. Or that can be destroyed. They were investing in eternity. And, and this prophet is seen on an ongoing, growing in grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we don't know, we could talk about all the crowns that you receive in heaven, and, and they're there, and there's rewards that we're told that we will receive um, at the judgment seat of Christ uh, as believers. Now all those rewards, I want to go into all what those are and exactly what they are. I'm not sure that we know exactly what they are. There will be some reward um, there. And he's saying what you're doing is you're, you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. And it's good enough for me just to hear this. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And a good and faithful servant invests in eternity like these people were doing. And he's calling them to continue to do in a sense. And this is the third biblical principle concerning investing. Spiritual investing blesses the investor. Spiritual investing blesses the investor. In fact, Paul reminds the church of Ephesus of this principle in Acts 20.35. He says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he himself said is more blessed to give than receive. And I think when people really get a hold of this idea of this giving and this spiritual investing in their life, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. It is more blessed to give than receive. It really is. And until you get there, it's hard to explain to you why that is. It's a blessing when you really begin to invest in eternity and work on your SIA. Now let's look at verse 18 here in, in Philippians chapter 4 again. But I've received... Let me just make a mention here before I read this. I've already read this whole passage. Why in the world we need it again? Why do I keep reading the same verses that I just read a few minutes ago? Well, if it's not for you, it's for me. But my guess is it's for you too. Because we need to just keep hearing the word of God and, and hearing this again and looking at it again and being careful students of the word of God. So that's why I come back and read it and also to show you where in the world am I getting all these principles from, right? These biblical principles. Look at verse 18. But I received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus. There he is again, the guy who brought the gift to Paul. What you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul is making sure that they know that he's received this gift. I got it. If you're concerned if Epaphroditus pocketed some of it, nope, not Epaphroditus, which they should have known earlier in the letter. But I got it all. Fully received it. Notice what he says there in the first part of 18. I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. Some of your translations say I'm abound, or, and even more. I've received it, and, and, and then some. And I'm amply supplied. Their gift to Paul was abundant, and sacrificial. And this is the fourth biblical principle concerning spiritual investing I want us to see. Spiritual investing is abundant and sacrificial. These people didn't just give their spare change that was left over. Let me see what I got here. Let's see. All right. All right. There we go. Ready to roll. That wasn't these people at all. It wasn't just what was laying around. They gave of their best. They gave of, of the Old Testament would say, of their first fruits. They gave their very best. And it used to be said that you could tell the heart of a person by three books they owned. The first book being the book, the Bible. Have you ever heard this? A Bible that's worn out probably belongs to someone who's not. So you look at their Bible. You know, has it been used or is it all sticky pages? You know what I'm talking about, like Habakkuk and those guys. Is, all, is it worn out? All right, that book. You also look at their hymn book. Now, we don't have hymn books anymore. and we don't care. People used to carry around their own hymn book. Believe that. And you look at the, the shape of their hymn book. Was it well used? You can still see the songs of their heart. 
Alright, so the, the Bible was the first book, the second book was the hymn book, and the third book was what? The checkbook. And you look in the checkbook, and you can find out real quick if people were investing in eternity. What's the first check they wrote each month? Now, we don't now, we do it EFT, through our ATM, it's a little bit different. You can't, checkbook doesn't work that much anymore, like that. But back, that's the way you could tell the heart of someone, was those three books. And, and you could tell by the checkbook. Was it the last check they wrote when they saw how much they had left? Or was it the first check they wrote because it was the biggest priority and they wanted to give abundantly and sacrificially? Giving will only be abundant when it's the first thing you do, not the last. It will only be abundant when it's the first thing that we do and not the last thing we do. See, their giving was sacrificial. Now, why do I say that? We see this abundantly. He talks about amply supplied and, and abundantly and, and more than enough you gave. Why do I say that the church at Philippi, was their giving was not only abundant, but it was sacrificial? Well, look with me what um, Paul says about this church in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which, is given, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Again, Macedonia, the church of Philippi is at least mentioned here if not specifically pointing to, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in their wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. That in a great deal, look at verse 2, in a great ordeal of affliction. This was not a wealthy church. The church of Philippi was not a wealthy... Oh yeah, it's easy for them to give abundantly because they had a bunch. They didn't. It was like somebody on welfare giving to someone else on welfare. That's what the church of Philippi. They gave sacrificially. Then it goes on, it says that, that um, not according to their ability, but beyond their ability, the church in Philippi gave abundantly and sacrificially. I saw this quote, and if you follow me on Twitter, maybe you saw this quote this week. I saw this quote, and it's really stuck out to me. When it comes to giving until it hurts, most people have a very low threshold of pain. That's true. Given sacrificially, giving till it hurts, all of a sudden, we're not nearly as tough as we thought. Some people um, give generously, and that's a good thing to give generously. And I would encourage us all to give generously, but, but they don't give sacrificially. And what do I mean by that? Well, if somebody has millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they make a donation to some charity for $100,000, we would all say, that's a generous gift, wouldn't we? That's a generous gift. Somebody gave our church a gift of 100000 that had be a generous gift. I'd say, thanks for your generous gift. But it may not be sacrificial. See, some people give generously. Some people give sacrificially. Some people give generously and sacrificially. But we should, all should give sacrificially. And if you give sacrificially, it'll always be generous too. If you're giving sacrificially, whether it's $10 or $10 million, and that's sacrificial, it will be generous. Right? Well, we need to ask this question. Is our spiritual investing abundant and sacrificial like the church of Philippi? Well, now turn your attention again to the last part of verse 18. He says, it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These three phrases were associated with the worship of God in the temple. You go to the Old Testament and you can find these phrases, this, 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 these phrases, a fragrant aroma. Speaking about people's sacrifices they were giving to worship the Lord. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. 
Not only were these believers' gifts a blessing to Paul, but their giving to the work of the ministry of the gospel was seen as an act of worship towards God. And that's the fifth biblical principle concerning spiritual investing. Spiritual investing is an act of worship. Know that when you are committed to your SIA, your spiritual investing account, in a biblical manner, it's an act of worship. You are ascribing worth to the Lord. Worthship. It means to worship something. You ascribe worth to that. What do I think about God? And he's saying when we give biblically, when we invest in spiritual things that we're saying, we think a lot about God and what he's about. We're worshiping God through our giving. Now look at verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Probably the second most popular verse in this chapter behind verse 13. So what's he mean? Well, Paul wants to assure these believers that when they invest biblically, the Lord will take care of them. Now, is he speaking physically or spiritually when he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? Is he talking about physical or spiritual? Yes. Both. He's talking about both, not just one. Uh, now, the, the, uh, the context dictates for both of them. The context of, Philip, Philip, uh, of the church of, uh, or the book of Philippians, or the letter of the Philippians, uh, dictates spiritually because his primary concern to, for these believers in the church of Philippi was a spiritual growth. So he, he, he's pointing to the fact that God will supply their spiritual needs. Think about this. He tells them to stand firm against opposition. He tells them to be unified. He tells them to have selfish humility. He encourages them to press on and keep growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them to think on these things. Right? We saw there back at the beginning of chapter 4. He's encouraging to grow spiritually. He's telling that God will supply your needs for you to grow spiritually and be more like Jesus. He's also concerned with their physical needs. As they give of their physical resources, the Lord will make sure that they have enough to give and enough to live. Hear that? As they give of their physical resources, he will make sure that they have enough to give and enough to live. And he's just reassuring them of this. And Paul mentions this also to the church at Corinth. Look what he says in, in chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, he's already exhorted them to give before this. You need to give. You need to join in the sharing of the ministry of the gospel. You said you were going to. You need to like, like the church of Philippi. They're doing a good job. You're lousy. All right, now he tells them this, and then he tells them so they don't get concerned. And in verse 9, it says, And it is written, scattered, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who, who supplies seed to the sower? God does. All right? And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Look, see, he says, You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. You will be given so you may give, is what he's saying. I will take care of you so that you can give and live. He gives to us so that we can give to the ministry of the work of the gospel. He gives. This is great. Imagine this. Now, you think this happens at work. It really doesn't. They're just fooling you. So if, it's matching, right? So if you give 3%, your company will give 3%. And they just make it think that they're giving to you, right? Well, God says, and they are, I guess, but not like God. He says, I will give you the whole deal for you to give. He's going to put in the whole 6% or 10% or 20% for you to turn around and give. And don't worry, you can still live too. 
That's really what Paul is speaking about here. Therefore, the sixth biblical principle concerning spiritual investing we see here is spiritual investing is done in faith. Trust the Lord to supply your needs as he gives. Many people object and say, I can't afford to give. No, the truth is, you can't afford not to give. Or, when I have more, I'll give. Let me just be as kind as I can here to that kind of statement. When I have more, I'll give. No, you won't. You won't. It's been shown over and over again. If you don't give when you have little, you won't give when you have much. It's a heart issue, not an amount issue. Not about how much I have or don't have. It's how much does my heart want to give. It's all about the heart. So when people ask, well, how much should I give? Now, you all have taught out of Corinthians and other places in the New Testament about giving, so a lot of you already know what I think about the tithe. 10%, right? You've got to give 10%. Well, if you want to be a biblical tither, you've got to give 23 and a third percent. Because the Old Testament, there's three tithes. Two a year, one every third year. So you average out 23 and a third percent. You want to be a tither now? Everybody just want to hold on to the tithe. Well, and you know, it, but I would say this too. But how can we who are under the new covenant give anything less than those who are under the old covenant? I will say that. So I'm not going to tell you a percentage to give. That's not my job. But the biblical way to give is to give abundantly and sacrificially. And to give. Because all believers are called to give. Even new believers. Even believers who don't have much. Or believers who have a lot. It's to give. To invest in eternity. So some people ask, okay, we talk about time, talent, or treasure. Yes. Yes, we're talking about all those things, time, talent, and treasure. But what's Paul specifically speaking of here? He's talking about treasure. They gave up physical resources and probably money so that it would be taken. They could, I mean, Epaphroditus had a long trip. Uh, the food probably would have got spoiled if they just sent food. And there's nothing wrong with sending food, we should do that. But he's talking about a monetary gift they brought so they could buy things for Paul in Rome. So, yes, all those, but he's speaking specifically of finances here. So I would just encourage all of us to have faith that the Lord will come through on his promise. Has God ever lied? You think he'll supply all of your riches in it, according, to his, according to his glory in Christ Jesus? You bet he will. He will. Well, let's look at verse 20 now. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here is the seventh biblical principle concerning spiritual investing. Spiritual investing brings glory to God. God is glorified as his people invest in eternal things and as he supplies all that is needed for his people to invest. He's glorified in that. When we spiritually invest in a biblical way, it can only be explained by God. It's not normal to invest in a biblical way abundantly and sacrificially with, the, with, with a great heart. That's not normal. I told you about my friend before. Maybe you all are new, so you haven't heard about my friend up in Springfield, Illinois. He's a single guy, and I guess he's probably in this... Mid sixties now. He's been single. Probably mid, mid early mid sixties. He's been mid sixties now. I guess he's been gone for a while. So it's definitely mid sixties. Um, we've been here all well, yeah, definitely mid sixties. So this guy, I won't tell you his name. Well, you would name, his name's Doug, and Doug, great guy, loves the Lord. Been single his whole life. Didn't come to know the Lord pro- probably until he was in, in his early forties. Just on fire for the Lord. And John and I got to know him a little bit, and we were telling him about this place that we used to shop in Springfield, Illinois, called Aldi's. Anybody ever been to Aldi? Oh, yeah, man. They, I like Aldi because you can save a bunch of money. And when it comes to our family, we like Aldi, so we drive to Pearland and shop at Aldi. And it's worth, oh, you have to pay all that gas. We save 10 trips to Aldi's and back 
uh, for gas money, how much you save. So you save a bunch of money. We were telling um, how much we, money we saved and how much bread was. So I don't know what you brought at the store at that time. It was like $1.50. I'll just throw that out there. But at all, you could get it for 25 cents. And it wasn't stale. It was good bread. And he loved to eat toast. That was his thing. And at work, he had like a toaster under his desk. He was an accountant. And, and he had toast. And he was just eating toast all the time and jelly and stuff. It was like Doug liked to eat. So Doug figured out. He was, I've been going to Aldi. I've been buying bread. And he figured out over a year's time how much money, listen, not that he could save, how much money, more money he could give by going to Aldi. What a heart. What a heart. And a lot of people say, he's single, he could do that. How many single people you know do that? Everybody comes up with that, that excuse. Well, he's single, he could do that. He can do that. He doesn't have any kids. Well, how many other single people you know who does that kind of stuff? Not many people, do you? It's not about him being single or married. It was his heart that was right. It was his heart that wanted to give, and it brought glory to God. Because, man, you look at Doug, and he was given just an immensely amount of money to, to different things for the cause of the gospel. And it could only be explained by God. It brought glory to God. Now look at verses 21 and 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Here's Paul's closing remarks. Every believer is valued. Look at what he says there. He says, greet every saint, every saint in Christ Jesus. They're all valued by God. And then he says that, that the brethren who are, who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you. These are followers of Christ from all over the world that have come to visit Paul in, in, in Rome. They're there, they're in Rome, and they're believers from all over the world. He says, all these people are greeting you. And then he says, especially those of the household of Caesar or Caesar's household. We saw earlier that the whole imperial guard was part of the Caesar's household. It was hearing the gospel and coming to know Christ because they had to be chained to Paul. And the gospel was getting out. And now he's saying some of these people like them and other people that are around that are coming to know Christ in Caesar's household, they want to greet you too. This is the eighth biblical principle of spiritual investing. Spiritual investing reaches the world. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation were coming to know Christ. Because the investment that the church of Philippi was making into the ministry of the gospel through Paul. Amazing. These Gentiles strapped to him. We're hearing about the gospel being changed. When we focus on our SIAs, then the Lord uses these investments to accomplish his plan to rescue people from the penalty of their sin from all over the world. Now look at verse 23. Do we have to finish? I mean, this is such a great letter. Where's Philippians 2 when you need it? I guess the Colossians will be next. I don't know. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends with grace. The very thing he began the book with. Look, look there with me. Look at that. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus here in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. He begins and he ends the letter with grace. It's one great big grace sandwich. Because it's all about grace. And you've, you, the Greek word for grace is charis. And all girls are named that now. I think it's a great name. And the word means gift. The word charis, the word grace, means gift. 
And here at the end of his letter, he's talking about this giving, this spiritual investing of giving of our resources to invest in the ministry of the gospel so that people can hear about the greatest gift ever given. So at the end of his instruction to the church of Corinth, or in the middle of it kind of, in his, uh, his church, to the church of Corinth on giving, look what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks to be, be to God for his indescribable gift. I've been encouraging you to give. He's encouraging and telling the church of Philippi, you've done a great job in doing what you're doing. You're giving. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We give because we've been given. Somebody asked me this morning, how am I doing? What was my response? Better than I deserve. We've been given so much. Even if if Paul says, even when we don't have much, we've been given more than we deserve. Because God's a God of grace. We get what we don't deserve. We his grace. We his love, his forgiveness. He's given his son. You're talking about sacrificial and abundant. He gave his son. Our model of giving is the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his grace, now he's Paul saying, how in the world are you going to keep doing this, Church of Philippi? How are you going to keep doing this? How are you going to do this here at Grace Bible Church? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Only by the grace of God can we give like this. Now let me ask you this question. Have you received the gift, this indescribable gift that Paul speaks of? The one who went to the cross and died in your place because you were a sinner and deserved the, you deserved hell. You deserve death. You deserve separation from God forever. Have you? And he came and died in your place. He took the penalty that you deserved. And he rose again. So you might be forgiven and be given new life and be made right with God. Have you accepted that gift from God? My prayer is you, as you have. And if you have, then let the overflow of that grace in your life. We give not to gain favor. We give because we have been given favor from God. May we do that to the glory of God. Today, tomorrow, the next day, to work on our SIAs for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this little letter to the church of Philippi. And Lord, not only was it a letter to the church of Philippi, but Lord, it's also a letter to every church that follows the Lord Jesus Christ in the history of this world. It's a letter to us. And Lord, we thank you for that. We're thankful for that. And we, we uh, pray, Lord, by your grace, beginning and end, be all of your grace, that we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, as Paul instructs the church of Philippi to do. Lord, that we would be selfless. Lord, that we would continue pressing on by your grace to know you more. Lord, that we would think on things that honor you. Lord, that we would uh, not be fearful of our oppressors, but we would trust in you. Lord, that we would invest in eternity by giving of the resources you have given to us so that more people might know the indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.